I've been praying about uh, kind of this season in December and really what the Lord would have me to share with you. And, uh, you know, and I really kept coming back to the thought of just the grace of God. Uh, and really, so that's really kind of been the focus. And as I've prayed and, and kind of gathered thoughts and just begin to let the Lord speak to my heart, I really just kept coming back to that. Because Christmas is really, it's not just the story of, of Jesus being born. It's actually the story of grace coming into the earth. Because before Jesus came, there was no such thing as grace. I think sometimes we can take it for granted because it's all that we know. And if that's all that you know, it's all that you know, right? But, I mean, can you imagine if we lived under the Old Testament? Like, we would have an altar up here and there would be blood and flies and... Right. And you would have to, what? There would be sacrifices. There would be all these things. Why? Because that was the law. It was because why? The Bible talks about that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sin. Well, before Jesus came and ultimately laid down his life, animals paid that price. Aren't you glad you didn't have to bring a goat or some doves with you or something with you this morning to church? You're like, what are you talking about? Go read the Bible. Go read in the Old Testament. I mean, it was very, very different. And yet today we live under grace. We don't live under the law. And Christmas is really, that's what it's all about. It's about grace coming to us and coming for us. And so the title of my message, and, or really the title of the series, if you will, I'm going to be doing this for the next, it's going to include next week what I'll share next week, but even on the 22nd, I'm calling it Grace Unwrapped. It's kind of seasonal. It fits. Thank you, Trey, for helping me with that title. But, uh, you know, but it really is about unpacking grace and what does that really mean for us because we can misunderstand grace too. Uh, And really, we can, by misunderstanding it, we can also not get the full weight or the full benefit of it. Have you ever had like insurance and you had a benefit that you didn't know about? And you're like, well, dadgum, I wish I would have known that. I wouldn't have had to pay for A, B, and C, right? Well, the same is true when it comes to grace. If we don't know, we may be missing out on some blessings and some benefits that are ours that belong to us, and we just don't know about it. And so part of what I want to do is to help us come to a place of understanding, at least to some degree, because there's no way I can teach exhaustively on grace in a couple of weeks. Why? Because I'm preaching about Jesus, and I can't preach Jesus to you in just a couple of weeks. And uh, so, it, you know, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try. How about that? And uh, so... Uh, I want to just share with you some things about this. And so, you know, I know that Christmas and all that comes with it, I mean, there's lots of symbolism. There's lots of decorations and the music and all of those things and the extra time with family, and that's all great. But as I said a moment ago, Christmas is really all about the moment that grace came into the earth. And that the moment that Jesus was born was the beginning of all of history changing. I mean, we mark our calendar before Christ And after death, right? I mean, his life is not just symbolic. It was history changing. It changed the the course of time, the way that we communicate about time. It was not just a big deal. It was the deal. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it is massive. But yet we could just kind of roll through the holiday season and just be like, well, I'm just trying to make it through the holidays so I can get to my New Year's resolutions that I won't keep up with till February. You know, and it's just like that just kind of comes the normal, right? And we're just trying to, I'm just trying to make it through. I'm just trying to, I got through Thanksgiving, man. I'm just trying to make it through Christmas. I'm just trying to make it through the holidays. I'm just trying to get past it. And yet we can miss out on much of what the importance of Christmas for us. 
And so I want to share some things with you about this is because Jesus' story is way more, way more than just about a baby being born and him becoming a man who would ultimately die for our sins. That's kind of the the cliff notes to the cliff notes to the cliff notes of why Jesus came. Yes, he was born. Yes, it happened exactly like the Bible says. You're like, well, how can you say that with such certainty? Because there's about 300 prophecies, 300 plus prophecies concerning Jesus. So in other words, you're like, well, what does that mean? It's something that people had spoken sometimes even thousands of years before as to where he was born, what would happen, that he would be born of a virgin. I mean, you you go study it. God said all of these things before it ever happened. And then he was born exactly where he said. Which is kind of funny because Herod couldn't find Jesus. And I'm like, well, if he would have known the Bible, the Bible actually told him where and even when and all of these things. And yet, they didn't quite figure it all out. So it's way more than that. It, really, what we celebrate at Christmas is this, is that it's the story of God stepping off of his throne I mean, think about that. The creator of heaven and earth, our creator, the one who made us. He was God. He was on his throne. And yet he made the decision to what? To step off of his throne. Ephesians says that he took off his royal robes and set them aside. And he took on the form of a servant. So he came to serve the very ones that he created, right? I mean, that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. It's more than just a birth. It's God stepping into our mess. Now, maybe you weren't as much of a mess as me, but I was a mess. And I needed somebody to step in to help me. See, the reason that we celebrate Christmas, the whole purpose of of why we celebrate it is this, is that it was God coming off of his throne for a very specific purpose. And that purpose was to restore a relationship. That's what God always wanted for mankind. Every single one of us. Like, I don't know what God wants for me. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. It really is, is that simple. And if you, if you don't know him, then don't worry about all these other things. Because it starts with that, with that relationship. And it's what was lost in the garden. It's what, it's what was really lost with that relation, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that relationship, there became a separation. There became a divide between what they had known. The Bible says that Adam and Eve would what? They would walk in the cool of the day with God and talk. Like face to face and as friends, they would have a conversation. And then sin enters the picture and, and that relationship becomes severed. Right? And so Jesus came very simply for this reason. To begin to build a bridge. So that he could become the bridge of which we could now approach God, experience God, fellowship with God, know him, know about him. I don't have to just hear about him. I can actually know him personally. The same is true for you. You don't have to take my word for it. Experience God for yourself. Why? Because Jesus came for you too. It's one of the main reasons that he came. And in John chapter 1 Starting in verse 6, we read that God sent a man, John the Baptist, who was a forerunner, who was one of those prophecies that I talked about. He said there would be one coming before the Savior 
who would be a wild man living out in the desert. Well, John the Baptist qualifies for that. Says that he ate locusts and he had animal skins on and he lived in the desert and he would preach and people came out and he said that there's one coming. Well, John was prophesied about. As a matter of fact, when his mother was pregnant and Mary went to visit because that was Jesus and, and John were actually cousins. And it says that while both women were pregnant, when Mary walked in, that John leapt in the womb and that his mother was full of joy. I mean, even before their birth, there was a connection. It's pretty unique. And it says that God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light because a lot of people thought that John was possibly the Messiah. And it said, no, he wasn't the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who was the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. It says he being Jesus Christ came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even though they rejected him, or even they rejected him, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. See, we're not born as children of God. The Bible says we have to become. We call this the new birth. We call this really laying down our, our, and surrendering our heart and our life to the Lord. Why? Because the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that when we submit and surrender our hearts to Christ, what we become, become a new creation. Old things have passed away. This former life, this old life of being separated from God, now we're no longer separated. Now we've been brought close to God. So things are new. Things have changed. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. It says that we, he gives us the right to become children of God. It says they are reborn not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. We can't be reborn of ourself. It ain't happening. We can't have enlightenment and get to new levels of understanding. No, Jesus, the Bible says, he is the way, the truth, the life. He says, if anyone comes to the Father, he's got to come through me. I didn't say that Jesus did. I'm just telling you what he said. It goes on here, I think this is verse 14 if I'm not mistaken, but it says, so the word became human. The word. Jesus is the word made flesh. It says the word became human and made his home among us. Now, in this day and in this time, yes, Jesus was alive in a particular city at a particular season. But how many of you know that God is living among us right now? Not just among us, but the Bible says that he's actually living in us as well. Because Jesus came to, to live and to be with people for a time, but he left. Why? Because God was not satisfied to just be with us. He wanted us to have a shared life together. It goes on and it says that Jesus was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Other translations would say it this way, that he was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. It says, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And John testified about him 
when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. And I want you to catch this last part of this scripture here. It says, from his abundance, from Christ's abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. One gracious blessing after another. One gracious blessing after another. See, here's the thing is that we're, in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate Christmas. And guess what? We're going to have presents and packages and things. And guess what's going to happen? Kids wake up. Chaos ensues. A mess builds up. And then we eat lunch. And then we pick up. And everybody starts taking things apart, putting batteries in, doing this and that, and all these things. You know, my kids will be really excited come Christmas morning because they're going to get a bunch of new stuff, right? Or not a bunch. They'll get some new stuff. I leave the bunch to the grandparents, but (laughs) I have a rule, by the way. Some of y'all might want to adopt this. If it makes noise, it stays at your house. Just (laughs) throw that in there. I'm just throwing that out there for you. That's just my rule. If you like it, you can take it. You know, that's just keep that in mind. I'm just... You know, I believe it's, it's wise, so, you know. But here's the thing. The newness of those toys is going to wear off pretty quick. I mean, my son's been making a Christmas list since, like, June. <laughs> but the newness of that is going to wear off. But guess what? Grace, the Bible says, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It just keeps giving and keeps giving and keeps giving and keeps giving and keeps giving. And And when we're done, grace says, I'm not done. And grace continues to work. Grace continues to move. Grace continues to what? To walk with us, to help us. Again, I shared this with you a minute ago. Is it what is grace? It's God helping us do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. There's an empowering part of grace. Very familiar passage of Scripture, but John 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. This is about the motivation behind why why God sent Jesus into the earth. But it says, for this is how God loved the world. It says, he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, just, I'm a bit of a grammar guy at times anyways. Some people might differ. If you read some stuff I wrote, you'd be like, really? But it says that anyone who believes in him should not perish. And it doesn't say, but they'll have, or they'll get eternal life. Like we're waiting for it. No, it says you can have it. In other words, I don't have to wait to heaven to experience heaven. I can experience the presence of God in my life. You can experience the presence of God right now. I have eternal life. I'm not waiting for it. It's mine. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not going to get to heaven and it's going to be better than it is right now. I believe it is, but I shouldn't get there and be shocked. It should be at least somewhat familiar to me. See, we've been given eternal life and it goes on. It says that God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. 
Now, let me just help you understand this because really there's several words that, that really all are pointing to the same thing. Now, we know Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the, the child who was sent, the baby who was born. But, you know, every time that you see the name of Jesus in Scripture, you can also exchange it for a couple of words. Number one, it's the Word of God. The Word of God. Why? Because He is the Word made flesh. They're not two separate things. He is the Word of God. You can say it this way. Is it, he was the author who held the pen and wrote the Word of God. Why? Because he was writing about himself. So anytime that you, you can say it this way, is it the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all. You could say it this way. The Word of God went about doing good and healing all. Why? Because now I can take God's Word and I can begin to stand and believe for my healing. Why? Because if Jesus did it, the Word will do it. So that's important to know. And you're like, well, why do I need to be reading my Bible? Because you need to know the Word of God. You need to put it in your heart. See, the word doesn't come to judge us. It doesn't come to condemn us. No, it actually, God sent his word to what? To heal us and ultimately to bring salvation into our life. See, we can look at the Bible as just a bunch of rules and regulations and things. No, that was Old Testament. We are in grace. Grace is very different. Very different. See, grace doesn't remind us of what we have done. This is important. Grace does not remind us of what we have done. Instead, it reminds us of what has been done for us. See, that's what, you're like, well, how do I know if, if, if it's God convicting me or if it's the devil trying to condemn me? I just gave you the answer. If you're not sure, because grace will always remind you what's been done for you. I said that you could exchange the name of Jesus for the word, but you can also exchange the name of Jesus for grace because he's the full embodiment of the grace of God. He's a full living picture of what grace looks like. The grace of God, it's Jesus. So grace went about doing good and healing all is the scripture I just quoted to you a moment ago. God's grace So how do we receive of the grace of God? It's by faith. You're not going to feel worthy. You have to make the decision that you believe God's word and you're going to partake of the grace of God by a decision that you're going to make. That now I'm going to make the call, the decision that I'm going to trust God's word. Romans chapter 4 verse um, 13 through 16. I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. But it says that God promised Abraham and his descendants that they would have an heir who would reign over the world. So Abraham was an Old Testament man of God. And he had a relationship, a covenant with God. A, a, a very important one. But God gave him a promise and says, hey, I'm going to bless the world through your, through your family line. And, and we see this fulfilled, but it goes on. And it says that this royal promise was not fulfilled because Abraham kept the law. Now, Abraham lived under the Old Testament. He had to do all those sacrifices I was talking about a minute ago. And it says, but even that, the promise was not kept because he did everything right. It says, it, but it was because 
or it was but through the righteousness that was transferred by faith. Righteousness simply is right standing with God. It means God's not mad at me anymore. It means where I was guilty, he says I'm not guilty. That's righteousness. That means I got I got a pass in the court before God. God says, I I know what you did, but I'm going to declare you not guilty. Why? Because Jesus became guilty for me. Jesus became guilty for you. That is grace in action. And it says that righteousness is transferred by faith, not feeling, by faith, by believing God's word. It it goes on, it says, for if keeping the law earns the inheritance, then faith is robbed of its power and the promise becomes useless. If we had to do right, then we don't have to have faith. And yet the Bible, the New Testament, talks much about having faith in God. It doesn't talk a whole lot in the New Testament about do this, don't do that, rules, it talks a lot about having faith, trust in God. It says, for the law provokes punishment. And where no law exists, there cannot be a violation of the law. So you can't get a speeding ticket if it ain't posted, right? Right? I'll tell myself, I got a ticket not too long ago. And I didn't know what the speed limit was. Y'all are going to laugh at this. And I asked the officer, I said, where's the sign? He said, just down the road. He hands me my ticket. I did a U-turn and went back. And sure enough, it was right where he said. Like, stink! Guess I'm paying this one. Why? Because it was posted, right? There was a law that said, hey, do not exceed this. I won't mention the city, but I just like supporting my state, you know. No, if there is no law, you can't violate it. You can't, you know, and so there was a law, the Ten Commandments. We, many of you know them, but I bet you can't quote all ten. But I've tried. I can get about eight on a pretty consistent basis, but anyhow. There's a law, but it says, it goes on and it says that the promise depends upon faith. So you can say it this way, is that grace depends upon faith so that it can be experienced as a grace gift so here's the thing my kids will get presents your kids will get presents your spouse your friends you're going to give them presents not because of anything that they've done it's really an expression of who you are and what they mean to you it's an expression it's a grace gift and and that's what grace is it's not earned we, don't, we can't make ourselves worthy of grace. So it goes on, it says that faith, or the, the promise depends upon faith so that it can be experienced as a grace gift and now it extends to all the descendants of Abraham. Whether you realize it or not, if you are a Christian, guess what, you are a descendant of Abraham. I don't have time to explain it to you. You can go read the book of Romans. It'll explain it, but it's in there. The Bible says we've been, what, grafted in. We've been brought in and included into the family. It says this promise is not only meant for those who obey the law, but also to those who enter into the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. The Bible calls Abraham the father of the faith. Why? Because he was the first one to put his faith in God. And the Bible says that, it was, that he was considered to be righteous, not because of what he did, but because of what he believed. That, that faith. 
So we have to receive or accept God's grace by faith, not by our feelings, not by our emotions, not by our thoughts. We have to receive it by faith, and we can choose to live from two places. But if we're going to receive the gift of grace, there's one that God is definitely preferential to. Now, we can live from the place and the view of this, if I am who I say I am, or I am who I believe that I am. My perception of who I am, that's who I am. Or we can live from another place and another viewpoint, which is I can live my life from the viewpoint of who God says that I am. It's very different because God doesn't look at what I do necessarily. What he does look at is what has been done for me, the price that has been paid for me, and that's the way he views me. That's the way he views you. It's through the grace of God in, in, for your life that now I don't have to measure up because Jesus did. Doesn't mean that I don't want to live right. No, it, I do. And there is a standard for us to live up to, sure. But that's not the goal. The goal is not to measure up. The goal is to experience the grace of God that will help me and empower me to live in a new way. That's, the, that's what the word of God says. So I'm going to give you a couple of, of approaches that people have towards grace. I have four of them. Four approaches. I'm not going to preach on these, but I'm going to give them to you fairly quickly here. So one way that people approach the topic of grace is this. It's like fire insurance. It's there just in case I need it. Like in case of disaster. Like, you know, uh, let me give you the example it's like when people are like, okay, I'm saved, but you know, you never know what God's going to do. He's he mysterious. He, he does some weird stuff. But, but, but I'm saved and I'm good. And so no matter what happens, I know I'm going to heaven. Jesus is my Lord. Yeah, but what about the relationship that that grace was supposed to give you? I mean, that's like getting married, showing up for the wedding, and then you just go about your life. And never talk to the person you just got married to again. Wait a second. There was, there was blessings that were supposed to come out of that relationship, not just the wedding. Right? And sometimes we can treat our walk with the Lord like that. Is that man, I just want to know that I'm not going to hell. I just want to know that, that, that God's not mad at me. Like I'm paid up. I'm good in case of disaster. But man, you just, you hear people say things like, oh, well. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Can I just be honest with you? That's a good cop out. And honestly, it's an ignorant statement. I don't mean that wrongly. It's just the truth. God doesn't work in mysterious ways. He works in good ways. Go read the word of God and he reveals himself. Jesus didn't go around putting sickness on people saying the lord needs to teach you something let me pray for you is that in the bible so why do we hold the belief that god does that today if jesus didn't do it he's the very nature and the full embodiment of god no he went about healing and doing good very different but that part of that is because of a misunderstanding of grace not properly seeing it for what it is. So people can look at it like fire insurance. Number two, some people look at it like this. 
And they're like, hey, I'm saved. And I would venture to say this is where the majority of people live. The majority, at least here in the States, especially here in the South. Most people have some understanding of God, church, what all that means. But they know religion. And so they go to church maybe once a week. They, they fellowship with other believers, hopefully. But then they live their life as if they're not saved. They prayed a prayer. They said, I'm going to heaven, but now I'm just going to go do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And there are no consequences. Why? Because I'm, I'm good. Hey, I prayed. But really, that's an abuse of grace. That's like getting married and saying, hey, I know we're married, but I'm going to go date on the side. And you're just going to have to be okay with it. I don't know about you, but my wife wouldn't put up with that. I might not make it out the door. You know, I mean, I'm just saying. No, we're not to do that. A third way that people approach grace is this, is they have the mindset of, man, I'm going to earn this. I'm going to be right. I'm going to do right. I'm going to talk right. I'm going to dress right. I'm going to have all. I'm going to cross every T. I'm going to dot every I. I'm going to live like I'm under the Old Testament. A lot of people live here too. They live in this place. Man, I'm going to earn this. I'm going to make this happen. The problem is, is that you don't have to do that. Jesus came so that we don't have to. He came, why? So that we can experience grace. We can live from this place of grace. The fourth way that we can approach grace, and I believe that this is the most biblically accurate one of all of them, is that we can rest in grace. Stop working, stop trying, get into a relationship with God Develop that relationship and rest in what? In what Jesus did for me. In what Jesus did for you. I'm not trying to become something. I'm just going to let God help me become. I'm just going to cooperate. I'm going to rest. I'm going to let God help me grow. It's not just me trying to figure this thing out. See, by its very definition, grace is very simply, it's unmerited. One definition would say that it's unmerited favor. It's unearned. We can't deserve it, but we do have to receive it. We have to take it. We have to, just like I could have, you know, we got some boxes. Well, I guess they're out there in the foyer. We have boxes around the Christmas tree. They're empty, so you can take them, but there ain't nothing in them. But, uh, but how foolish would it be for us to have Christmas and have presents under the tree and all these things, and the kids just never realize that they're for them. And so the, they just sit there. They look pretty, got their little bows on them, got these things. But yet it's for them, but they never go and what? Receive it. See, we have to receive grace. We have to come into that relationship. See, grace is a gift, and it has to be received. See, here's, and this is one of the ways where people kind of can get tripped up at times. And I'm going to just share this thought with you is that you're like, well, I'm not worthy of the grace of God. I don't deserve what Jesus has done to me. You don't know my story. You don't know my past. You don't know all these. You got all these things. Well, here's the thing is that God's mercy is what qualifies you. Mercy and grace are not the same thing. And I'll tell you why here in a moment, but it's God's mercy that qualifies us. 
Because he says, I know you don't deserve it, but I say you do. That's mercy. That's when my kids deserve punishment and I say, I'm going to let you off the hook. Mercy would be that police officer saying, you know what? You seem like a nice guy. I'm not going to write you a ticket today. He gave me no mercy. None. Zip. (laughs) Zero. Like, zero. (laughs) No mercy. It's God's mercy that qualifies us. It's, It's what makes us worthy. But it's God's grace that makes us come alive. If God just gave us mercy, we'd be forgiven, but we'd just be stuck. We'd be stuck in our sin. We'd be forgiven, but we couldn't change. So we need God's mercy. Why? Because so he'll do for us what we can never do for ourselves. But we need his grace so that we have the power to actually do something about who we were. That's why grace came. One of the definitions that I like about grace is this. Is, and this isn't a, a technical one. It's just someone's opinion, but I like it. It says that grace is God meeting man at our point of need in the person of Jesus. Grace is God meeting us, mankind, at our point of need in the person of Jesus. At my greatest point of need, Jesus stepped in. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 It says, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And now, and now, now declares us as flawless in his eyes. Anybody feel perfect today? Nobody? Good. But the Bible says that we're flawless right now. If there's not a verse in scripture that really challenges you, that one there does. It says that God now declares us as flawless in his eyes. This means that we can now enjoy. There's that word now again. Now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. All because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. He says our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness or the grace that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's joy. See, a moment ago I shared with you that Jesus didn't come to what? To judge the world. He came to save the world. See, judgment always kills. It kills relationships. If you don't believe me, start nitpicking a friend and see how long your relationship lasts. Because eventually they're going to get tired and be like, why are you picking on me all the time? Why are you always pointing out my flaws? Why are you always, you know, every little thing? It's grace that actually makes us come alive. The Bible says this way, that it's the goodness of God that leads us or draws us to repentance, not the law. It's the goodness of God. See, God's mercy, very simply, is this, is that mercy is not getting what I deserve. Like, I deserved punishment because of sin, because of of those areas of my life. But grace is not getting what I deserve. I'm sorry, grace is getting what, messing up the words here. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. So mercy says, I'm not going to get what I deserve. Grace says, I'm going to give you something that you didn't, that you don't deserve. That's the difference. 
And it's important to understand that because this understanding actually helps you. So what does grace look like in our life? Very simply, Jesus is grace in motion. If you want to know what the grace of God looks like and should look like in your life, go read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is grace in motion. He's the complete picture of God's grace. So if you wonder, well, how would Jesus handle, or what, what would God's grace look like in my life? Go look in Scripture. There's a picture right there for you. Jesus wasn't the one to pick up the first stone. And it doesn't mean that, that he never addresses things. That, not at all, because at the end of that story, he says, hey, go and sin no more. See, Jesus lived on the earth, and how he lived on the earth, that's the picture, that's the perfect picture of grace. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. I want to read you one last passage of Scripture here, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 7. It says, Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and his kindness. I know that's a mouthful, but... It says we're going to be the visible image, and we are the visible image of God's grace and his kindness, which was showered on us in Christ Jesus. For it is only through his wonderful grace that we believed in him, and nothing that we did could ever earn the salvation. For it, is, was, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ, so that no one will ever be able to boast. For salvation is never a reward for the good works or our human striving. I really like the way this translation, I've never read this translation until this week, and I thought, man, I really like that way it says it here. It says, we have become his poetry, a recreated person that will fulfill the destiny that he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned and advanced our destiny and the good works that we would do to fulfill it. Another translation says that we are his masterpiece. Is that he's the artist and he, he's, he's, he's painting a, a masterpiece. Here it talks about that we're his, we're his poetry that's being written. The story of God is being written in our life. But it's what the scriptures say here is that we have now been called into a relationship. We've been what have become a child of God that we can have a relationship with him. He's not just the God who's afar off. Jesus came why? Because he's the God who came near. I mean, the name Emmanuel is what? God with us. He's also the God who is for us. God is not mad. God is not angry. God is not upset with you. It's quite the opposite. God says, I have grace for you. I have goodness for you. I have ability and empowerment that's available to you. But it comes through a relationship with God and through nothing else. It's not about trying harder or being better. It's simply about saying, God, I recognize that I need your mercy but I am thankful for your grace in my life. Because without grace, I am absolutely powerless to do the good works that God planned for me. 
You are absolutely powerless to do the good works that God has planned for you and has laid out for you without his grace. But it's his grace that gives us the ability, not just the ability, but actually even the want to. It's his grace. It's the response to who he is. It's the reason why we celebrate Christmas. It's the grace of God coming into our life. It's the moment that everything changed. It's the moment that God took off his robe, stepped out of heaven, and stepped right in the middle of our life. And he says, I'm here to help you. That's why Jesus came. So I want to pray this morning that not just today, but even during this season, that God is going to give us a new understanding, an opening of our eyes to his grace. Because when we understand grace, it changes the way we see ourselves. It really does. And, and, and so I want to pray this morning that over you, over during this season. And I would encourage you, as you're doing devotionals, as you're reading your Bible, begin to look for that word. Look for the word of grace, Jesus, the word of God, those types of things. And say, hey, that's for me. So let me pray over you. Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning right now, Father. I thank you for your grace, Father, for your amazing grace in our lives.